Let's get into God's Word. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 today. Mark chapter 10, we want to take a look at a message entitled, Be Careful What You Ask For. Be careful what you ask for. Do you ever um, remember doing this or hearing one of your siblings do this or as a parent, you've experienced it and uh, it would go something like this. One of your kids would come up to you and say, hey, dad, I'm going to ask you for something, but you have to say yes. (laughs) Some of you have done that. and Some of you have been on the other side of that. And as soon as you hear that, you're like, okay, this isn't going anywhere good, right? Well, that's exactly what happens in our text today. James and John come up to Jesus and say, we're going to ask you for something, but you have to do it. But you have to do it. And so I want to talk today about being careful about what we ask for, being careful for what we desire from God. Uh, Think about this line, this sentence, when you ask God for things, do you want what he wants for you or do you want what you want for you? When you ask God for things, do you want really what he wants for you or do you want what you want for you? So before we get into the text, we need to understand a little bit of the background of of what's going on here. This is um, not long before Jesus goes to the cross, probably eight or nine days and uh, he's going to the cross, and Jesus is kind of really coming to the things that are so important, the critical pieces. Um, in, the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, there are three times where Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. In, um, in Caesarea Philippi, in chapter 8 and verse 31, it says, the Son of Man must suffer. And Jesus is emphasizing at that point the necessity of what is coming. This, this has to happen. He must suffer. In uh, chapter 9 of of Mark and uh, verse 31, if you flip back just one page, um, it says, and for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. And Jesus is uh, talking there about um, the certainty of what's going to happen. And then we come to the verses right before our text today, and we see the prediction of what's going to happen. And we see that in, uh, we'll start in verse uh, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed at those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was happening to him saying, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. And so Jesus now, in this third kind of wave of information about what's going to happen, he he lays out the prediction of what's coming, and he, he gives them all the things that we look back at now and understand and see and understand how important it was and how awesome the work of God was. He talks about the fact that he will be betrayed, that Judas is going to turn on him and betray him, that he's going to be condemned in a, in a mock trial. He's going to be mocked by the, by the, the people. They're going to They're going to spit on him. They're going to scourge him. They're going to take the leather straps with the stones or the glass in it, and they're going to beat him with it. They're going to to scourge him, and at the spit on him, they're going to kill him. 
And then he's going to be raised in three days. He lays out so powerfully what's going to happen. And then our text happens. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. But listen to this. In light of what you just heard coming right out of Scripture as Jesus has laid the foundation. He's just said that to them, and then it says this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Okay, a little note from me. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Okay, back to the text. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism of which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it not, shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word. There's so much in this text that is me. There's so much in this text that reflects us in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at it, Father, you would give us wisdom to see what you have to teach us today. That we'd be careful what we ask for. And as we consider these principles, Lord, that we would make them the focus of our lives, the focus of our prayers. So, Lord, give us ears to hear your word. To give us minds to be able to understand what your word says. But then, Lord, would you give us the faith. The faith to live these things out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. We want to dive in and see three things today, uh, three principles that I have for you are three main truths. Jesus had just poured out his heart, and the response of James and John is, give me what I want. Give me what I want. So here's the first truth. Be careful what you ask for. When you ask, check your heart and your motives. Check your heart and your motives. If you were to read uh, this story in Matthew chapter 20, um, in Matthew 20, um, Matthew includes uh, James and John's mom in the story, and she's with them in this. And actually, in, in the book of Matthew, she speaks, and, and they speak, and, but the reality is um, Mark doesn't put her in, because I believe, because Mark's like, we're putting this back where the ownership belongs, Right Now, a little bit of nepotism going on here. Um, James and John were first cousins of Jesus. Uh, their mom was Jesus' aunt. He was Mary's sister. 
And, uh, and so what they're asking has family connections in it and, and all of the rest of it that's going on. But as you think about your life and the things that you ask God for, and as you look at what happens with these guys, check your heart, check your motives. Uh, the points in your notes are closely put together because I really want to just highlight them and then kind of walk through some principles for it. First one, they had a self-serving proposal. Look at, the, look at the words in uh, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for. They wanted a benefit without really counting the cost. They wanted the benefits without even realizing what the cost would be. They said, we want something from you. And I love Jesus' response. He's a patient Savior. Uh, that's the next thing. He's a patient Savior. Look at verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? You know, I debated as I was preparing this message about preparing it from the mindset of what Jesus is thinking as all of this is going on, right? It's a good thing I didn't prepare it from the perspective that I would have if I was Jesus because I'd have just punched them right in the head. It's like, are you kidding? I just poured my heart out to you of what's going to happen. I'm going to die for you. And you want some selfish request. Um, Christ is so patient with them. And I'm so thankful that Christ is so patient with me. When I don't get it, when I don't understand, he just keeps on being patient. And this is another place where Jesus teaches by just asking a question. What do you, what do you want me to do for you? And they said... Look at verse 37. This is the uh, self-indulgent request and its results. Um, they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Would you grant us that when you're the king, one of us will be on the little throne on the right and one of us can be on the little throne on the the left. It, there's a, an ugly ring of self-righteousness to all of this. They want this really bad. One to sit at the right hand, one to sit at the left hand. It, it's like with your, when you're with a group of people, you've seen this happen, and, and there's a person who's kind of the center of attention, or, or maybe it's a famous person, and, and you get to be in the picture, and you watch people jockeying for position, who can be like right beside, who can be over the shoulder of. This happens in politics all the time, when they line up for the picture, it's like they spend hours figuring out who's going to stand beside who, and, and this is the little picture of James and John going, hey, hey when when you're the king, we want to be right beside you in the pictures. We want to be on your left hand, and, and we want to be on your right hand. As the king, the right-hand man and the left-hand man were positions of power and positions of privilege, positions of prestige. Um, I used all P words. You could remember them that way. Um, but, but that's what they wanted. That's what they were after. There was this selfishness going on for them. And, and they didn't even understand what Jesus was talking about. Um, they're still thinking that Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to be the king of Jerusalem. And they want to be the left-hand man and the right-hand man. They wanted the shiny. They wanted what was going to be cool. They wanted the easy they wanted the spectacular. They wanted to be right beside Jesus on the right hand and the left hand when he went into Jerusalem and when he became the king. 
Uh, look at the uh, end of, of uh, that verse where it talks about in your glory in verse 37. In your glory. In your glory. If they understood what the glory of Jesus would be, they would have never asked. They would have been like that text I read in Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the angels crowd, and then he falls on his face, right? But there's an arrogance in what they're doing. There's a pride in what they're doing. And, um, and it was very self-serving. How do I know that it's self-serving? Like maybe, maybe, Pastor, maybe they were sincere. Well, I don't doubt they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Um, but how do you know it's self-serving? Well, look at verse uh, 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So the other guys hear what they ask, and they are royally ticked off. Well, why? Well, God's word gives us the answer to that. Flip back you in your Bible to uh, chapter 9 and verses 33 to 35. When they, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last. And all and a servant of all. Jesus has already been teaching them about this. And these guys, the 12 of them, had already been arguing over who was going to be on the right hand and the left hand. And, and James and John were the first to get up and actually maybe have the guts to say it. But they're like, we want, we want that position. We want that role. Um, James 4, 1 to 3. I think they're going to put it up on the screen for us. James 4, 1 to 3 says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. They wanted a lot. They wanted a lot to the point of causing quarreling and fighting. Um, they didn't understand what Jesus was about to do. They didn't understand what he was called to. And they put themselves in a position asking for things that they shouldn't have even been asking for. Um, how do I know they didn't understand? Well, because at the end of this chapter, we get to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem when the, all the palm branches are being laid down and Hosanna, Hosanna, king of the... Those people still, they thought Jesus was finally arriving in Jerusalem to become the king in Jerusalem. And so they were devastated when Christ dies on a cross just a few hours or a little while after that. The disciples were very much like we are. Sometimes filled with jealousy, other times jockeying for position. Selfishness in our lives always leads to division. I want what I want is more important than what is right. Um, and the followers, the other 10, were indignant about what God was doing, or about what they were doing. Um, but again, before you get on your high horse about that, think about your own heart. Think about the things you ask for. Think about the way sometimes you jockey for position. And as you think about the things you ask God for, check your heart 
and check your motives. I'm going to give you a number of things that maybe you've prayed for, and I want you to consider your motives and your heart and why you even asked for those things. Because none of these things I'm going to talk about are wrong. They only become wrong if they're misplaced in priority or our heart is wrong or our motive is wrong. Now, maybe you prayed for a new job. You didn't like the job you had and, and you wanted a new job and you asked God, for, is it wrong to pray for a new job? Nope. It's not wrong to pray for a new job, but it's wrong to pray for a new job because you want a new job because a new job will give you prestige or power or more money. Um, and, and you were really, if you're really asked about why you wanted that job, it wasn't for opportunities for ministry. It wasn't for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, that new job might mean you had to move to a town where there wasn't a good church and you would be willing to sacrifice that so that you could have a, a better job. Um, or maybe you have considered a job or taken a job that doesn't allow you to be involved in ministry or, or you're here, so it allows you to come to church. But people have taken jobs and it's like, yeah, God's done this great thing. And, but now they have to work on every weekend and, and now they're not in church anymore, right? What's, what's the motive? What's the motive behind what we pray for? Why do we ask for the things we, we ask? Maybe it's the way your kids act. Lord, would you um, do a work of grace in the children that you have given me so that they will shine for the light of Jesus Christ? And you say all those right words, but really, 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 is would you just help them not to cry when they get to church because it's really embarrassing for me? Right? That's really what you're praying for. Like, what's your motive? What's your heart when you pray? You've been to the doctor and you're waiting for results of a test. And you're praying, Lord, I don't want to have cancer. I don't want to have to have surgery. I don't want to. I don't. And your prayer is really about yourself and not about the glory of God. See, God help me to do that. God help you to do that. As we, we consider what we pray about, the things we ask Jesus for, the things we ask God for, what's our heart, what's our motive, why do we do the promotion I want in work? Why do I want that promotion? The relationship that I don't have. If I don't get it, if somebody doesn't come along, I'm never going to get married. And, and it's about you. It's not about God. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But if the motive is wrong, if the passion is wrong, if the reason is wrong, then it's not a great prayer request. It's not a right prayer request. So point one in the message is uh, check your heart and check your motives with the things you asked. The thing they asked for was very selfish and very self-centered. And Jesus is going to teach them some things as we go through the rest of the text. Here's the, here's the second truth, truth number two. Be careful what you ask for. When you ask, be ready for God's answer. Be ready for God's answer. Whatever you ask for, you ask God, God, I, I want a response in the, the health test I have that is this. That's what I desire. That's what I want. But are you ready for God's answer? God always answers our prayers, always. He never doesn't answer. Sometimes he gives us answers, yes. He gives us the thing that we ask for. Sometimes he says no. He says no to these guys. It's right in the text. He tells them, like, yeah, no, that's not mine to give. That's not for me to do. And he tells them no. And sometimes God says not now. And no and not now really protect us. Because if we got what we asked for, it would be a disaster in our lives. Lord, would you give me a job so that I could have more money and then I could have... And the Lord's like, no, I'm not giving you more money because you can't handle the money you have right now. And so the Lord says, no. 
And you're like, why doesn't God answer my prayer? He did answer your prayer. He wants you to be refined and grow up in some things first. And when you pray, are you ready for the answer that God gives? Be ready for God's answer. I look down at uh, verse 38. Um, I love this. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism to which I am baptized? Um, you do not know. When you pray, when you pray, you pray seeking the Lord, what is your will? Why? Because you do not know. You do not know how God is going to work. You do not know how God is going to lead through your uh, Sue's accident when she was in the hospital for a month. And uh, I would have never prayed for that. And we prayed for all kinds of things coming up. But what that did in refining our family was an awesome thing. Do I ever want to do it again? I never want to do it again. The heart attack I had. I didn't want to have a heart attack. But God's refined me in that. I've learned some things in that. And if we always are just looking for we want. Do you want what God wants in your life? Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we do not know. Take great comfort and we have one who does know. But we do not know. Here's the second thing. You are not able. You're not able uh, look at uh, verse 39 again. They still aren't really getting it. And they said to them, they said to him, we are able. We are able. We are able? You are able to what? We are able to drink the cup. And we are able to handle the baptism. Um, and then Jesus says, um, Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, uh, you will be baptized. Those are, those are two great pictures in scripture, the cup and the baptism. Like when we think about them in church, we primarily think about the cup as it relates to communion, right? And, and it's great because there's a parallel to this for sure of what Christ was going to go through, right? When we think of the baptism, we think about our identity with Christ and being baptized and being buried with him and raised with him again and that picture of what's happened in our salvation. And, and that's a very legitimate way that it's used in scripture. But there's another way that these things are used in scripture. It's more of a negative way. It's, it's a harder way. It's a, a more difficult thing. The word uh, to drink a cup metaphorically, it means to get one's fill. You're going to get more than you can handle is really what saying. When you drink of the cup, can you drink of the cup? See, in the good sense, that is Psalm 23, my cup overflows. But in the negative sense, Psalm 75, 8, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours, pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain down to the dregs. So you have this picture of the cup, and it's like, it's an overwhelming that's coming. And Jesus says, can you drink of my cup? And they're like, yeah, we can do that because we're going to come and help you in Jerusalem. She's like, you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't understand. Now, don't be too hard on them. We're on the other side of the story. We understand what's going on. We've seen the end. We know the rest of the story, as it were. But can you drink of my cup? Can you drink of my cup? Can you handle my baptism? Can you handle my baptism? Again, the negative and the positive on that. Um, Psalm 69, 2 says, I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Luke 12, 50 says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress. 
until it is accomplished. And so they were asking for these throne seats. And Jesus is now starting to paint the picture for them, what they really just asked for. If you want these things, you have to understand there's a price that comes with this. And that's what we are being called to as followers of Jesus Christ. So when we pray, be ready for God's answer. Why? Well, because at the end we win and there's so much more. But the journey along the way might be difficult for us. It, it might be hard for us. The cup and the baptism refers to the suffering that Jesus and his disciples would experience. Jesus foretold them about that. James, in this story, is martyred. John is exiled. Um, the apostles in general suffered. They were experienced especially by Paul, we see in the New Testament. Uh, disciples today uh, struggle and wrestle through these things in uh, different nations in the world where there's um, a persecution going on. We heard that in the testimony today of, of a persecution that happens, and we don't face a lot of that in our nation. We may face some ridicule in uh, communist nations where people are being put in jail and churches are being destroyed and uh, people are being put to death, and that's the cup. That's the, that's the baptism. That's what Christ is saying you're being called to. Um, your faith might be ridiculed. You might be rejected by coworkers or neighbors and friends and even family. Um, and so we ourselves even face maybe a little bit of that. But Jesus is saying, like, can you handle that? And they're on the, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, yeah, no, no, you can't. Um, but with God's strength, we can. With God's grace, we can. With God's help, we will. Um, and so we have this picture of when you ask, check your heart and your motive. When you, when you ask, be ready for God's answer. Now, I don't want to paint a picture today that everything you ask for, God just goes, boom, you're not having that, right? So often God gives us and the desire of our heart is right and the overflow and we're a church that's just filled with blessing that God has given to us and we can rejoice in all those. But we need to be ready when we pray for what God's will is, not my will. Your will be done. Leads us to the third truth. Be careful what you ask for. When you ask, desire God's best. Desire God's best. Look at verses 42 down to 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's, he's really just finishing up dealing with James and John about what they've asked. This is the picture of what you wanted. This is the picture of what you desired. Then he comes to this. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus replaces what is wrong with their question and understanding with what is true and what will actually come for them. A um, couple of things that we'll see that in the way we respond. We'll see that in the way we respond in our, our humility. Remember uh, John the Baptist, he's watching and he's seeing uh, people being baptized by Jesus and his followers are like, what's going on over there? How come that's all happening? And John in John 3 verse 30 says, you know what? Jesus must increase and I must decrease. In all of your prayers, in all the desire of your heart, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. And you're like, Pastor, it's so hard. I know, I struggle with it every day. But Jesus must increase. And we must decrease. We see that in your humility. Um, 
we shouldn't be looking for pedestals, but rather we should be looking for footstools. We shouldn't be looking, looking to be lifted up. We should look to remain low. We shouldn't be looking for thrones, but rather we should be looking for towels. Right? They, weren't, they weren't looking for how can we serve? How can we get down on our knees and wash people's feet? And that's what Jesus was calling them to. I was uh, talking with uh, somebody from our church the other day, and they were just talking about how they're, they're seeking to remain low. Or teach me how to do that. That's what they were saying. And I thought, what an amazing thing. Like, you get that right, you get so much right. And uh, Christ is calling them, first of all, to their humility, in your humility. But here's the second thing, in your servanthood. In your servanthood. I was thinking about this this morning. I didn't have this for the folks last night, so it's good that you're here today. Um, I wrote this down in my notes. If you don't get humility, if you don't get servanthood, you don't get the gospel. If you don't get humility, if you don't get servanthood, you miss the whole point of the gospel, of why Jesus came and what he did and what he went through and all that he did. And we're, we're still on the side of give us more, give us more. We want what we want. We want what we want. And, and Jesus is calling us to humility and he's calling us in your servanthood. Um, John 13, 15 to 17 says, For I've given you an example that you should, uh, you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We've been served by the prophets. We've been served by the apostles. We're served by angels. You've been served by others, people who taught you the gospel. Maybe somebody when you were a little kid who presented the gospel and you trusted Christ and, and you were served by them. You were one of those little rugrats with a, a snotty nose and a cold all the time and, and yet they served you so that you could hear the good news of Jesus Christ and, and they served you. Or many of you have stories of people who have served you uh, in your walk with Christ and, and we've experienced that as a family of people who have served us and, and that's what we're called to. In humility, we're called to serving Ultimately, though, the picture of service we see in this text is that we were served by Jesus. That's where we come to this following the example of what Christ has done for us in verse 45. Shall not, excuse me, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Really? I'm, I'm always supposed to be about serving. Well, that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He didn't come to get. He came to give. He gave his life as a ransom. But as you lead your families, Dad, does that, no, I, I need to be served. I need to be served. Does that rear its head and rears it mine? That rears head in your life says Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He's our model. He is our example. He is the one that we are seeking to be like. And, and so the glory, the glory, interestingly enough, that they really wanted of Christ begins in servanthood. You want the glory of God to be revealed in your life? It doesn't happen because you're shining on some pedestal somewhere. It, it comes because you're a servant 
Because you are a bond slave. You come under. You give up the rights. You relinquish those things. Did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And it says, and to give his life as a ransom. To pay the price. To pay the price. He served by giving his life a ransom. Dying on a cross for our sins. A payment that had to be paid that we couldn't pay. James and John are looking for seats beside Christ that are filled with all the prestige and all the fanfare and all the rest. And Christ is saying, I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you to give your life as a ransom. Like Jesus did. Give give above and beyond. Now, we can't accomplish what Christ did. Our, Our sin separated us from God. And there was nothing that we could do to fix that problem. He gave his life. But it's a model for us. He gave his life as a ransom. Your salvation, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God gave it because he gave his son who gave his life a ransom. The picture that Christ pictures right before this text of all the things he's going to do, that's that's the ransom. It's all being taken care of in Jesus Christ. And the thing they missed and got to, we want what we want, he circles right back to this is what it's really all about. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, he gave his life as a ransom. He paid the price you couldn't pay. Your separation from God was a void that could not be met in anything you could accomplish because Christ did it for you. He gave his life a ransom. And you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ for his work and it will save you. It will save you for eternity by putting your faith in Christ alone. And church, every day, when, you, when you're tempted to be like James and John, like I'm tempted to be like James and John, I want what I want, I want what I want, I want what I want, go back to that list in the verses right before, and look what Jesus Christ did for me. He gave his life a ransom. He gave his life a ransom. He gave his life as a ransom. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 talks about what Jesus is still doing for us. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So how do I serve? How do I serve? Well, in this church, you're being challenged to be serving in evangelism. Uh, What are the connections that you have? Who is your neighbor? Who is your uh, co-worker? What is the strategy in your small group? What is the how are we serving in evangelism, that others would know the good news of Jesus Christ? How are you serving in building one another up, in edification in the faith? How are you doing that? Who are you investing in? Your kids, your neighbor, your friend? Your, who are you investing in to build up? Who are you serving? Not what can I get, but how can I serve? And the church right now is, is uh, working through and desiring to see how we serve. I've used the word ben- benevolence. It could be generosity. What, how is God using us to impact our community? People that have, have no hope. And, and, and unless we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to die with a, a no hope. That's evangelism. But we're doing that through how do we build relationship and how do we do through generosity? How can we be doing those things? Because Jesus came to serve, not to be served. God helped Paul Whittingstall to be a man of God who desires to serve and not to be served. Do you know how you know how well you're doing at that? 
You know how well you're doing as a servant by how you respond when somebody treats you like one. That's how you know. Then you'll know if you're in it for the throne or in it for the towel. If you're looking to be on the pedestal or looking to be on the footstool. God help us. God help us. Well, you knew this was coming because I'm preaching. So what? Right? So what? James and John wanted what they wanted. Christ had a far different plan for them. Christ had a far greater plan for them. So you need to ask this question. Is it your will I want or is it mine? God, is it, really, is it really my will? Do I just couch what I want in spiritual ease so that I say things that they sound really good, but at the end of the day, I really want what I want. I don't really want what you want. Takes us back to the three points. Check your heart and your motives. Be ready for God's answer and then desire God's best. This is a message in some ways about prayer, and it is about prayer, but it's also about the way we live our lives for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this text. I thank you for James and John. It's, it's so easy to look at this and go, what was wrong with those guys? But Lord, when I turn the mirror on my own soul, I see these things so often in my own life. And if we're honest, we do. We, we love you and we love all that you've done for us, but Lord, the call to humility, the call to servanthood, nobody wants that, but Lord, that's what you call us to. So Lord, make us careful what we ask for, desiring your will and not our will for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.